There's a beautiful red brick church with a white steeple on South Barrington Avenue in West Los Angeles. It's the place my parents got married and my great-grandmother's funeral was held. And it's where my brothers and I, my cousins, we were all dedicated as babies. It's where I wore fancy Easter dresses and hats. And it's where I spent weeks in the summer doing vacation Bible school. As a little girl at West LA Baptist Church, I laid under the pews before the service started and the hymns were sung. The men and women would walk in the foyer and it was lined with pictures of the congregants, most of which were my extended family. The whole building, to me, smelled like library books, bad coffee, and vitamins. I loved it. In the lower level classrooms on a felt board, I learned about Noah and Joseph and Jonah and Jesus. And I can still remember the women, who honestly were mostly the mothers of the children in the class, remove the brown felt stone and reveal the empty tomb. It wasn't Shakespeare, but I sat jaw open, totally amazed. I did a Juana's at this church, which if you don't know what that is, it's basically like the Christian version of the girl or boy scouts. Um, I had a vest with badges and patches. It was awesome. And at five years old, I knew more about the Bible than most of the adults I knew. And when my parents and aunts and uncles got together to play Bible Trivial Pursuit, yes, there is a Bible Trivial Pursuit, I knew most of the answers. I just loved that red and blue vest, and I was really proud of those badges. The whole community was really important to me. God was just really important to me. I loved the Bible. I loved Sunday school. I loved the pageantry of dressing up for church. It was special and it seemed important. And I liked who my parents were at church. They were softer and kinder there. I loved how scripture sounded and the words created an emotion in me. Of course, I didn't understand everything. There were stories that went way over my head. And sometimes I felt like the Bible said one thing And maybe then the Bible said the opposite. But who Jesus was and what he was to me was very clear. And I fell in love with him. In all of the things I didn't understand, I found that there were things I just knew to be true. Things that may or may not have been taught, but they were so true. It wasn't even like I needed them to be pointed out in the Bible. And it wouldn't have mattered, in fact, if what I knew to be true wasn't ever taught because I had an experience with God. And sometimes an experience with God cannot fit into an Awanis patch or a VBS story. I didn't know this then, but what I know deep within me to be true after moving through many denominations in the Western church world is this. If God's love can be fully contained within the boundaries of your religious structure and denominational guidelines, then you might be shutting yourself off from a massive amount of experiencing God's love and affection for you and for this world. The way that God loves all, yeah, I said it, all of his children, quite frankly, should astound the broken parts of you. It's an incredible thing to possess the power to destroy sin, but not destroy the sinner and instead invite the sinner to become a saint. And that is Jesus. This is how he loves us. 
this love and and the way Jesus loves people is it's incredibly offensive to every political party, every denomination, and every person who is not fully living released in his love. And in case you're wondering who that is, that's you. That's me. That's all of us. Hopefully, we are all being astounded and offended by how radically and wholly and fully God loves each and every one of us. This is such a brilliant way in which the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth because he doesn't use shame or comparison and he doesn't use bargaining or judgment, which by the way are the things I use with my children. Uh, He uses love to expose our religious spirit and it's so freaking good. This is the paradigm I understand to be true now, but I didn't understand that as a child. I can only say that in the purest way a child can comprehend this, I knew. I just knew Jesus loved me. And in spite of not feeling really that special in the world I lived in, I felt like I was God's favorite. I felt known by him. And there was a sureness with God. Jesus was mine and I was his. And I found that in the building. In that same building, I picked up some other things things that lived in conflict with all the goodness I just mentioned. I'm not sure if I learned them through bad teaching, observation, or just honestly a lack of clarity on my end, but along with feeling like I was God's favorite, I also felt like maybe I could lose that position. This is what I'm talking about. These are some, and seriously, just some of the things I held in tension with God is love. Okay, This one. Sin was bad. We all had it. We all do it. You will probably always do it because you are undoubtedly a sinner, a big old sinner. But you're also a saint, but more a sinner. You should really try hard not to do it. Good news though, all those sins, totally forgiven. So you can keep that in your back pocket, you little sinner. So remember, Jesus paid for your sins. You're totally good but not really good because sin makes you not good. So keep making sure you're not sinning super bad. Also, don't compare your sins to others, but maybe keep track of their sins because you want to be around people who are good or at least as good as you. Don't hang out with bad people because they are sinners. But we're all sinners and saints. And do not worry, you cannot lose your salvation, but you will be scared into obedience with the threat of going to hell. So that's fun. Sex. Sex. Oh, just saying the word is dangerous. But any sex, all sex before marriage is hell, 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 hell. Also, side note, this one possesses a giant problem as a child if you have been sexually assaulted. Like, if I didn't want to have the sex, will I still go to hell? This one messed me up for a while. Any kind of excess is all bad, super bad, major sin. We are a moderation kind of crew, or just not at all. We got to live above reproach, people. Another side note, though, overeating and massive diet swings are encouraged and can be used as a way for your church to monitor if you're happy or sad. And I think you get what I mean. If you're fat, you're sad and probably sinning. And if you look fabulous, you are doing great. Your marriage is amazing. You're an excellent parent and maybe also have an eating disorder and still probably sinning, but you're killing it in that Sunday dress, girl. 
gay? I had no idea what this was as a kid, but holy cow, that was apparently a one-way ticket to the Lake of Fire. But also, you should love everyone you meet because we're all God's children. Except if you're gay, I guess you're God's stepchild? Forgiveness is amazing. You should totally do it. But don't forget so that you can hold those things against people when they do it again. Love keeps no record of wrongs. But maybe you should. Women and little girls cannot preach, cannot be pastors, elders, deacons, or any kind of leadership in the church. They can, however, be the Sunday school teachers for every child until the age of college. They can sing and lead worship, do all the coffee and hospitality, set up the church, clean up the church, make meals for those in need, give people rides when they need them, watch other people's children for free, host, but not lead, in-home Bible studies, be on the prayer team, women's groups, and be a total servant to the needs of any male in leadership. Also, men and women are totally equal. So just be quiet and ask a man what you think. In case you can't sense my strong tone of frustration and resentment in this one, you may want to adjust your volume because I'm laying it on pretty thick here. Also, please introduce everyone who doesn't know this incredibly clear information to Jesus. Invite them to church because we would love to quietly judge them. I mean, invite them to become members. This, my friends, is an internal and external conflict. It's just a lot of tension to hold when you feel so sure of one thing, that God loves you and you love him. And you know that in whatever way you can know it, that truth cannot change. But there are these other things that sound good-ish and even maybe a little holy, but they also make you feel kind of sick. This is the tension I wrestled with as a child and a teenager and sometimes even now. Before I go any further, I just want to ask, are you aware of this kind of tension inside of you? Do you also find like that the things you knew and the things you know, the things you learned, are they're just not always in agreement? What do you do with that conflict? I've spent decades sorting through this and I have some brilliant answers and still some massive hanging chads. I'm learning that some things take time and reference and experience to sort through. And for me, I've not been able to do any of this without God speaking to me. And this was one of the major things I never was told growing up, that God speaks. This was a massive disconnect. Some of you listening may have had a totally different experience, and you have always known that God was speaking to you, and that is brilliant and a kind mercy that you experienced. But I'm guessing that even knowing that, there was still tension and conflict because you're human and we hear through experience and reference. And it just takes time to hear through a clear and clean filter. No one told me that God wants and is speaking to me or even that I could hear him. It just wasn't made clear. I didn't know that the stories I fell in love with in the Bible, they were for me too. I didn't know that I was designed to have conversations with God. And this was conflict because I thought 
I was possessed and even evil because I was hearing and seeing things. And I had only been told that the devil is the one speaking and lying to me. I have always been a dreamer. My imaginations, my dreams, they've given me respite and relief. And when I was five years old on a very average night on Hillsdale Avenue in Inglewood, California, I went to bed and I had a dream. I was in a cabin and the walls were lined with skulls, shelves of skulls, and an old witch with a broom was sweeping the floors. She kept looking to the window in the upper right-hand corner of the wall as if she was waiting for something. And I watched her looking and waiting. And then without warning, a man's head appeared in the window. In my dream, I wasn't actually afraid because I was watching the scene like an invisible bystander. But as a child, I was like, what is happening? I woke up and this wasn't just a bad dream. It was like I dreamed a movie and I couldn't find a place for it. I left the room where I shared with my little brother and I walked down the hallway to my mom and dad's room. I woke them up. I told them about the dream, about the skulls, the witch, and the man in the window. And honestly, they responded the way I do when my kids come in the middle of the night. I'm half asleep and I'm moderately comforting them. They fell back to sleep, but I stayed at the end of the bed. I I didn't even know why I stayed at the end of the bed, but I was staring out the window that was above and to the right of my dad's side of the bed. And without warning, in the still of the night, a man's head appeared in the window. I screamed, and the man fell and tried to jump our fence. My dad woke up and ran out of the house to see if he can catch him, and my mom called the police. No one talked about the dream because they probably forgot about it and all the adrenaline, but I've never forgotten about it. I knew that God woke me up and had me watch the window. Maybe this seems too creepy or weird, and maybe like I am overreaching. Maybe it even seems like I'm over-spiritualizing a bad dream I had as a child, or maybe it was all coincidence. Maybe. But I think God still speaks, even in a maybe. Inglewood, California in the 1980s, uh, that was not posh. And the man breaking in was not harmless. So on the base level of a maybe, I am so thankful that I sat in the same watchful posture in my dream as I did at the foot of my parents' bed. For some, this is a maybe. For me, it was God. This was a massive paradigm shift for me. This experience sat in conflict to what I'd been taught and continued to be taught, but that night was the beginning of a wild and vivid dream life that God used to speak to me. It was like something got turned on inside me, a light switch or Like a part of my brain and heart and spirit all got plugged into the same outlet. I felt connection to myself and to God. And the one dream encounter, that one, introduced me to the Holy Spirit. I accepted Jesus as my Savior when I was five. That same year, two witches moved in across the street from us. My parents were verging on a divorce and I was raped. Yes, this all happened when I was five. It's heavy, and I'm not bypassing the weight of these things combined. And they deserve more than a casual sentence here. And they will get more time. They deserve their own story. But for now, I'm telling you them just to give you a picture of the atmosphere I was living in, 
the internal and external tension and conflict that existed in at that time. There was a frenzy and a frustration and just confusion. There was conflict. And in the midst of that conflict, my God spoke to me. He spoke to me. In all of these things, I became aware that I was not just body, soul, and mind, but I was also spirit. I mean, I was only five, so my understanding was limited, but the wholeness I felt as a person when I met the Holy Spirit, that's only grown as I have grown. It's a treasure. It's my landing place when my mind and body wear themselves out. The Spirit is strong. You may not have had this kind of experience. Maybe you're thinking that your experience doesn't seem significant or maybe not as exciting. Don't go there. I have heard people share stories and have felt the same way. I cannot tell you the way I have had to walk through jealousy as I have heard people describe their experience. I I have felt insecure. I think to myself, God, why didn't I have that? But what I believe is that every encounter you have with God is the one he's made just for just for you. Relieve yourself of having to have someone else's experience and instead ask God for more. Ask him for something new and ask him for more of himself. To have such a massive internal shift and not have language or reference for it, this this was conflict for me and tension. And this conflict made me draw closer to God because it was just more sure than the other things I was learning. In many ways, I experienced a loneliness in this um, that I don't think was God's intention. But I was lonely and I just felt separated. And then in my early 20s, I encountered for the very first time other people who heard from God. And I felt like I belonged. I found myself in the company of these older women at a church my husband and I were going to in Seattle. They were the elders' wives, the pastors' wives, and they were all at least 40 years older than me. This radical group of senior citizens joyfully tossed me into the wild mosh pit of experience and learning. We would meet and I would listen to them talk so casually about experiences that I had had but had no place to put them. They just spoke about them like you would talk about the weather, only with more reverence and excitement. But their casualness about the conversation helped me understand that this way of experiencing God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit was normal. They put language to my experiences, and I wasn't alone. I was part of. And can I just say that I absolutely love that God released me from a season, and I mean season meaning decades, of that isolation of my own experience with him through community, through mentorship, and through just being invited in. And the irony of this 20-year-old girl with a wretched mouth, tattoos, smoking a pack a day, and no, honestly, no real reference for appropriateness, being ushered in to a thin place with God by the freaking golden girls. It's audacious, really. These women who no one would ever consider radical. They were the most punk rock people I had ever met. 
My paradigm of who and what God was was getting upgraded, not to a better faith or even a different denomination. I was upgraded into a fuller understanding of what and who Jesus was for me, who Jesus was for you, for us all. And all of a sudden, a life of feeling alone in this mystical world inside myself, it became flesh. I felt integrated and whole, but still a little uncomfortable in my own skin. These women taught me, they loved me, they held me, they tethered me to truth, and they did it all with their Bibles and hands open. Their Bibles looked like an old pair of nasty jeans, just torn, weathered, but man, they fit perfectly. Every single time we talked about visions or dreams, God speaking, you would hear the rustling of the pages as they would reference his word. These women who invited me into community, they, they loved me through this internal conflict that I'd been living with for so long, and it was just so much less messy. And even the big questions and religious narratives, the theology, good and bad, I had learned was welcomed, and they held it in the same way they held their Bibles, open. My Baptist church and these women's homes had the same smell and feeling. Old library books, vitamins, bad coffee, and family. Time after time, God invites me into himself, and he uses people, places, songs, sounds, books, music, movies, and stories to just reveal what is available in him. And by doing that, he teaches me. There's no invitation from God without offering me a change in my thinking or a new vantage point to see things from. And in that, he always reveals pieces of himself. He has put in me. And then through experience, I get to offer that to others. There is a savage kindness that exists in God. It will shake you and it will hold you. Knowing God speaks to you and hearing him may not be new, or it may be unbelievable. I hope whatever it is that you would just keep pressing in, because I know there is unending glory to be revealed, and I want all of it. The Golden Girls, they led me holding my hand and walking me through visions and dreams and thoughts. I would bring them a crazy thought or a dream or a vision, no matter how wild or how dark or heavy it was, they just gave space for me to lay it out and look at it. Sometimes after an overdramatic revealing, because um, I have always been dramatic, they would sit silently, not in some weird, creepy, cultish way, just casually on the couch, closing their eyes and asking God to reveal something. Sometimes one of them would get a word or a picture to help me with understanding. And sometimes after asking like two questions, We all realized it was just a weird thought or a funky dream, and I could just let it go. Everything they did and everything they said, they filtered through the Bible. It was like they were checking themselves with what they had heard constantly. And once again, God was teaching me and training me in this invitation he gave me. He gave me all of this in relationship, in community, and I watched how these wise women weighed their words and checked in with God and held the Bible as their ultimate filter. And my paradigm of how God speaks to us, 
it was evolving and being upgraded. And I saw that God speaks to us through others and how they test what they hear before releasing it. These women were teaching me how to get a prophetic word. And then they were teaching me how to release that prophetic word or to prophesy. And it was all done within the context of relationship. Every word was measured with compassion and encouragement. And sometimes they got it wrong. But in an atmosphere of love and acceptance, there was no stoning. Just a simple, wait, I got that wrong. I'm sorry. And everyone moved on. These women were the inner healing and deliverance ministry at this massive church. And they trained me and taught me. They corrected me and discipled me on how to hear correctly and how to walk in authority and how to love the actual evil crap out of people. That's right. I said, love the crap out of people. There was no aggression or parlor tricks. Nothing like you would see in the movies where Pentecostals are usually portrayed as lunatics. It was peaceful. It was safe. And it reminded me of how Jesus spoke to the women at the well or the demon-possessed man. It was calm and controlled because there was no fear. This honestly was a really hard season for Matt and I. We encountered so much warfare and it felt like boot camp for deliverance. There was a night that three witches sat in a tree in front of our house and threw feces and curses at the door. And because of what I had learned and shared with Matt, he calmly read scripture over me. While I physically, I actually physically was shaking for hours. It, it sounds scary because it was. I was afraid. That's exactly where the devil wants to keep you. He wanted to keep me afraid. But God's goodness had provided me with the Golden Girls who had taught me my authority and they taught me that I can change my posture. And when the enemy wants me writhing on the ground, the King of Kings has made a place for me at his table. We would have many more of these supernatural experiences and each encounter turned out to be an opportunity to stretch my faith and to walk in the authority I'd been given. And again, my paradigm would shift. Experiences like this help grew my compassion for anyone experiencing oppression and fear. My capacity for empathy was enlarged with each paradigm shift. It was like I was an apprentice and they were master craftsmen. And for four years, I learned how to use the tools they gave me. And by the time I moved back to Colorado, I was like a walking armory, swords, arrows, shields. I was so gnarly, but because they raised me up, I was also soft and lovely. The fierceness in me was matched by the joy. And honestly, I don't know if that's ever changed. My paradigm shifted and it keeps shifting. My pendulum has swung from Southern Baptist upbringing to Pentecostal tent revival. And now, honestly, I'm happily somewhere in the middle. There's times I go to Catholic churches and sit in mass because I love the reverence. And there's times I revisit the old Baptist hymns. And there's times I love watching people sit in community, praying and laying hands over each other. I just know that in every shift there was in my life, God was there and he was speaking and he was leading and teaching. And man, 
I have gotten it wrong. I have had to apologize and repent and relearn so many things. And although that is so humiliating sometimes, I can't stop pressing in to hear from God and hear what he's saying about me. Hear what he's saying about my kids, my husband, and my community. I can't stop because I've seen too much glory and too much goodness. And I'm going to tell you, as you enter into this life where you are hearing from the Lord, you will get it wrong. But stay in community. Be in relationship with people who can mirror the truth back to you so that you can find your way. I realize not everyone has had such a loving entrance ramp to this sort of shift. And I'm sorry for that. I I am so sorry if you have been around people or have been in churches where people have said things like, the Lord said this, and then given you this word that was full of shame and fear and condemnation. I am so sorry. And I, I wish that never happened to you. I think it totally sucks. I wonder if you would let God redeem that though. I wonder if you would allow him to speak to you in a way that you clearly know is him to upgrade your experience to just something different. I still have tension and conflict within myself and the church and the Bible. uh, But with every shifting, I experience the Lord and I see these conflicts and these tensions, these tensions shift as well with time. I understand that for myself, I will quickly move to judgment and I'll miss out on asking God a question. And I miss out on him revealing something new about himself, about the world. That once again shifts my wisdom. It shifts my understanding. And I think we have to become people, a church, a bride who keeps entering into conversation with the groom. With everything I don't understand in the natural and supernatural, I believe the Holy Spirit can and will lead me into more truth. The paradigm shifts are not going to stop. I mean, they can't stop. If they do, let me just say, heaven may be real hard adjustment for you. We're called to make earth look like heaven. That's a massive paradigm shift. You will hear me talk about these golden girls again and again, because at the same time I was in seminary, I was walking with them and they had PhDs and things that school could barely touch. Sonia, Tracy, Bunny, and my forever answer to the maternal desire in me, my spiritual mama, Linda, they're the fiercest woman, women I have ever known. And I don't even think they all have their own hips, but they have badges of glory that make my sweet little Awana's vest look like an old rag. I want to offer this to any of you who are having conflict or tension with something you've always known or grown up with. Or maybe it's a recent understanding or a dream or a vision that feels funky. Maybe it's something happening in the world that feels incongruent to what you know to be true about God. You can have a shift. Your paradigm of these things can evolve. I want you to just try this right now. If you can, hold that tension in your mind right now. Or maybe it's not in your mind. Maybe it's in your body. But can you just be aware of the conflict? Imagine Jesus is standing in front of you with open hands. He's inviting you to offer him that tension 
or conflict, that dream or that way of thinking. Hand it over and watch what he does with it. Does he pull the strand of truth out of the big ball of crap and hand it back to you? Does he light it on fire and invite you to start over? Does he draw you close and show you a new way to look at all of it? Or does he throw the conflict to the foot of the cross and lift you up on his shoulders to walk into a whole new shift? I'm sure whatever he is doing matters. It matters. Our experience, big or small, matters because it's your experience with him. The Jesus in front of you is about the business of restoring all things. So let him. My friend Steph has a brilliant question that I'm going to steal. She says, tell me the good. So I'm going to tell you the good. You are not alone in this life. And even if you don't feel with him, he is with you. His invitation is always available to you. And he has lived, died, and lives again to release you into your inheritance and rights of connection and communion. His paradigm is yours to have and to hold forever. Let him give you what he paid for because it's good. Thank you.